Welcome. Welcome to the Suicide Prevention Show. I'm Jackie Simmons, your host of the show. And we're going to welcome to the show, Jean Vernick. And the topic is looking through my rearview mirror. What's so good about looking back? Jean, I am super, super excited to welcome you into the studio. And thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much for being willing to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm actually honored. So thank you. So cool. So, all right, we're just going to go there. I'm going to drop right in. What's so good about looking back? Well, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. It really is. And there's so much as an adult, I wish I would have known as a kid or even as a younger adult, and it would have made going through things so much easier, less painful, and just, I would have understood things better versus always trying to figure things out. I was the type of person that I swore I spent so much time in victim mentality. And now that I even knew about it because I kept would, would always want to analyze why, why is this happening? What am I doing wrong? All that. And you know what? That is the last thing I should have been doing. I should have been asking why not me and just embracing everything. But I was like, oh my gosh, well, something went wrong again. So then I looked at you know, my fault. What did I do wrong? And sometimes it's not even a thing about doing wrong. It's just part of life and it's happening because we need to learn something. And the more I went through something, I'm like, okay, I'm just tired of having to go through this again because obviously I'm not learning what I'm supposed to be learning. So yeah, it's like, you can always look back and think, well, I could have did that different, but there's no sense beating yourself up because you did the best you could with what you had at that particular time. Yeah. Wow. All right. Woo. I just went down the world according to Gene really fast. So let's back it up. Who is Gene Vernick? Who were you before you had this idea that maybe there was a different way to believe about life? Well, you know, it's interesting because I always felt I was my own person and I did what I wanted. However, along the way, I lost myself and I lost, I quit listening to the voice inside. I spent many years and, and I still do it in the medical profession. And I loved it when I started out and I never had children. I never got married. So I just thought, wow, my, cause I tried to, I can rationalize anything. So I decided that God told me that my purpose in life was my job was my profession and that was good. And then after a while, it became not good because I all I did was work long hours and a lot of that was not even getting paid because we were salaried and all I got was tired. And oh, thing, and oh so wait a minute, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. We're gonna talk to all the adults here because what you're talking about is some a concept called over giving. Yes, yes. And all you got was tired. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to share something. If you don't mind, I'm going to pause you for just a second. Yeah. When my grandfather, my, my mom's dad, passed away, he was a coal miner. That had been his profession He in the mountains of West Virginia. 
and the family gathered and I was away from my grandfather's house. We were in this little restaurant. There was one, by the way, there were no traffic lights in this town. That gives you an idea. It was a town, not a city. And there was this little diner and a few of us had gathered there of my generation and there was a jukebox. And I saw this song and I played it and then I played it again and I played it again. And it just so expressed the belief system that I had seen played out for my grandfather, the coal miner, and for my mama, the school teacher. And the song was, work your fingers to the bone. What do you get? <laughs> Bony fingers. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I'm hearing you say is that you had this idea of how life was supposed to work and living life from that idea, what you got was, bony fingers. Exactly, exactly. And I grew up on a dairy farm. And so I had a help on the dairy farm. So we did put in long hours. And when in the summer, sometimes when they didn't have anything for us to do, they would graciously have us help the neighbors do stuff. And so what we got, we didn't get paid either, but we got fed. And so what we learned or what I learned from an early age, you work hard. And I don't mind working hard. However, it, it got to the point where it wasn't bringing me the joy. And also I learned as I was going that I stopped finding the, the happiness inside of me. I was looking, I was getting my happiness from others. If, if I had a rough day at work, meaning I had patients that would be screaming at me, they didn't want to do therapy or they were just depressed. Oh, okay. Okay. Hold it. When you talk about patients screaming at you, they didn't want to do therapy, please tell people who you are and what you were doing at the time. Okay, I, I'm an occupational therapist by trade. And so back then we were always taught or told the patient has a right to refuse. However, they really don't have a right to refuse because we'd have to practically beg them, do whatever we could to get them to work. And I had some that would be throwing up and you were still trying to make them do whatever. But it it is just really sad. So if, if they didn't want to do it, I, I took that against me thinking that, well, I guess I'm not a good enough therapist because they didn't want to work with me. Not, not thinking, well, maybe it's just the place they're at. And not that that's a bad thing, but I always looked at how things turned out, whether or not that meant if I had a good day, not such a good day, and that type of thing. And that is not what you want to do to base your happiness on. And so that, that... All right, wait a minute. We're going we're gonna to just pause. What you just said is really key for everything that we've been talking about and everything that we're going to talk about going on forever. If your happiness is based on other people's emotional state, acceptance, actions, anything, yes. then there's a problem because at that moment, it's not your happiness. Exactly, yes. All right, so take us here, keep going. Okay, and so, I spent many years as an occupational therapist, but as time went by and I realized that I, I, I didn't have anybody 
except I start, I did eventually get two dogs and I realized they were my lifeline. However, even while I had them, I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? What can I do next? Because that's all I knew how to do is be an occupational therapist. And so I, I would do these trainings and it'd be like, yep, that's it. You'd go to a training, you'd be the energy in the room. And then you'd go back to your environment, your wherever I was living. And after a while, the energy wasn't there. And it was like, no, that's not who I am. So it took me many, many years to figure out who I was. And it's interesting because I knew some of the things that I was good at. And I worked with a life coach for many years. And she would say, well, why don't you be a life coach? And I just laughed at her because it was like, no, that's what you do, but I'm not good enough. Yeah, and then, then the mental, you know, also I have to go back to one of the reasons I wanted to get out of OT was it's such a thinking profession. And that's one of the reasons why I went into hold it. it. Hold it, hold it, hold it. You said one of the reasons I wanted to be a what? An occupational therapist, an OT. Thank you. Thank you. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? Okay. Yeah. So now we got it. One of the reasons you wanted to be an occupational therapist is because? Thinking. You had a problem solve. Every time you work with something, you're, someone you're problem solving, why are you seeing what they're doing? Why are they doing? What's causing it? Is it muscle imbalance? Is whatever. There could be many different reasons. But I decided I wanted to come from the heart and just really really come from the heart and, and send love. And, and I could do that as a therapist, but it's two totally different things. And so I finally actually did become a, a life coach. And my specialty and passion is working with teens and young adults to teach them things that I wish I would have known earlier, not to make their life easier, but to give them tools and techniques they can use to use throughout their life to successfully, as successfully as they can, navigate everything they go through because through the, the difficulties is how we grow. And I didn't know that either. I just thought that, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, well, you know, I've known people that were in accidents and got hurt and that type of thing. But overall, I was like, life is good. You know, life is good. We work hard and it's, it's like, it's just always happy. And then it's like, as an adult, that's not it. And so, yeah, just to help them, give them the tools, because I don't want to take away from their learning, but I want them to make the best decision they can at that particular time and not make it out of fear. Because I think a lot of times we make decisions out of fear versus faith or just what's in our highest good we're more on what are other people going to think? What happens if I don't succeed? What happens if I fail? That's a big thing. And that's all fear-based. And so what's the worst thing if you fail? And I don't even want to call it a fail because if you try, there is no such thing as a fail. You learn and you go on. And so just to help people realize that there are options. And if you don't like how things are going, you don't have to keep doing it. And when I was 30, someone told me I was too old and set in my ways to do something new. And I'm like, wow, that, that was really probably, I didn't believe it, but I think subconsciously it kind of, kind of got hold of me because 
every once in a while, I would think that. And it's 25 years later, and I'm still at times thinking that. And it's like, no, you're never too old. And, and I never want to quit learning because if I do quit learning, that means I'm dead because there's so much to learn. And I think I want to be a better person. And one way to become a better person is to continue learning because we're like an onion and we just have to keep peeling the layers to really get to who we are going to become. But when you're 18, you don't even know what you're going to be at 21 versus 25 or 55 or 90. And so, um, yeah, I just want to help people make the best choices they can make, be happy, very content with their choices, and not make them out of fear. And also to help this world be a better place. And by people using their gifts and talents, that is helping make them this world. And even if it's just your little part of the world, but how amazing would that be versus people very depressed because they're not doing what they would long to do or what they would love to do. And, and even if they can't do it as a profession, what would you love to do if it's even something they could do outside of work? And I think too, the sad thing is people put so much esteem and so much, uh, think that people are better if you make more money or if you have this, this certain title or whatever, but we need janitors. We need people that work in restaurants. We need chefs. We need everybody. And if they're a good housekeeper, my God, I, I, I bow to them because I, I don't like clutter and I don't like messes, but I'm not that good a housekeeper. And so okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you right there. And the reason I'm going to pause you right there is because you were driving by a billboard that I just want to highlight for people. Mm -hmm. When it comes to amassing financial freedom, we're going to call financial freedom the ability to have your assets bringing in more money than your expenses. Most of us think that comes from income. Mm -hmm. so we have to go make more money. But what if there was a way for your passive income to actually meet your expenses and then your revenue could come from whatever brought you joy and here's what i learned i mean i'm going to give credit where credit is due there's a game called cash flow it is not an inexpensive game i mean if you're going to buy this game it's a commitment but i was lucky enough to be in an environment where i could get the cash flow game from robert kiyosaki's organization at a price that met my perception of abundance at the time and what's so powerful about the game is that unlike monopoly where it's about you become rich putting other people into bankruptcy mm -hmm. the cash flow game is about how do you get out of the rat race? How do you start looking at your money as a means of giving you freedom from having to be in the rat race, having to do things maybe you don't want to do in order to bring in income so that maybe someday you get to do what you want to do. And so playing this game, I actually got the concept of and okay, there are four things I did. I mean, I played the game for Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, from Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. And I did multiple things. 
I started, I read a book called Your Money or Your Life that starts with the premise that 40 years ago, 50 years ago, if somebody put a gun to your head and said, your money or your life, you'd have handed over your money because you would have thought your life was more valuable. And now maybe that decision would make you think a little longer. Before you gave up your money, would you give up your life? And from that place, they revised the book. It was re-released in 2019. So I invite people to get the newest one. And then I read a book called It's Not Your Money, which is a very esoteric book. This idea that money you know, and everything in our lives is really a third dimension construct and we're eternal beings. So I've been in the soup of are we eternal beings having a human experience or are we humans who <laughs> might have intuitive guidance? And the bottom line is, whichever BS belief system works right. for you is the right one. That's exactly. all that matters. And so as you were talking, I'm like, let's just pause and make sure that everybody's on the same page with us. So exactly. when it comes to mindset and moving forward, your focus is on kids. Yes, younger, yes. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about why. What, what happened in your life that you decided Younger kids are who you want to work with. As I said before, there's so many things as an adult that I wished I would have known when I was younger. And mm -hmm. also just for many years, I was involved with big brothers, big sisters. I had a little sister mm. and other people I know. And the thing is, the... So many, and, and as an occupational therapist, I also worked in the school. And so many times people would just assume that kids should just know this stuff. But even like budgeting, they're not even taught budgets. They're not taught anything about retirement. And so I'm, I'm like, we need to get them when they're, when they're younger because, and you may say, well, you're not going to use that information now. Well, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, or you may use it tomorrow, but maybe next week. And if a child is getting a job, even when they're 15, they can start putting away money, 10% of every paycheck or whatever, versus spending it all. It's, it's just good to start those things early. And I think too, if I would have known those things earlier, the, 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 the times in my life were, which I got the most depressed and where I felt hopeless really hopeless and there was no way out for me it just wanted to end it i wish i would have known those things because after i found found out of them found them out after the fact now my situation in certain areas are much worse you know i would say more negative than they were back then but i'm i'm getting through them so much easier and so All right, wait, 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 you just said something that I'm going, um, huh? The difference between your bank account and your sense of self-worth okay. are both of those worse than they were a year ago? My self-worth, no. My okay. bank 
No, yes, oh. but that was that was because of, of things I've been doing recently. Yes, yes. But my self worth, no, that's that's way way higher because of the things I've learned. Yes, yes. And okay, I know, want to just pull apart because yes. we have this connection that our self-worth and our bank account are somehow synonymous and that's such a belief system it's total bs our bank account only grows as we are willing to allow Mm -hmm. abundance to flow through us to us and through us and you're in a space and most of um, okay i'm going to say most of the people I've worked with over the last five, 10 years, they've been in a space of confusing their self-worth with their net worth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I'm just going to invite people to pull that apart because when we're teenagers, you know, our, our, there's no connection because we don't have a net worth. Right. And here's what I think might be useful for teens is to help them understand that grades, their GPA, their grade point average, the grades are the currency of childhood. Right, right, yes, yes. And so what if they treated it that way? What if they treated their grades as a bank account? That would presuppose, Jean, that their parents had actually talked to them about what a bank account is. It was a course I missed growing up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when did you come into this discovery that maybe if kids heard different stories growing up, they would have a different belief system as adults? Actually, it's just probably been within the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And, And I think it was too because I've, I've grown so much over the last few years, as far as I've learned so many different things. And I've, I've, uh, how'd you say? I've conquered my, my mind. And I want to talk one thing that I hope I want to instill in kids too. And, and that is to quiet your monkey brain. And what that is, that's the non, what, what was me, nonstop chatter in my mind. I mean, I would have running dialogues of telling me like, if I, if I um, made a mistake on a quiz or just a, just a stupid mistake, instead of saying, writing A, B, C, or D, what did I do? I put the first letter or the first letter of the word in that in a instead of a you know just a dumb mistake whatever i would beat myself up over and so the non-stop chatter would be like you did it again when are you gonna learn and so it's like i couldn't shut it off and so that can really play havoc with your self-esteem because you need to have positive affirmations or just positive thinking that you're telling yourself versus you're not good enough you did it again you know it's like you're not pretty enough you're never going to get a boyfriend, you know, and all these different things. And kids have so many things they tell themselves. And it's like, it took me a long time to get rid of my monkey brain. I mean, I can't tell you. I, and I used to only 
get four hours of sleep at night because I didn't need any more. And the only problem I had with that is my brain wouldn't shut off. And so it was all this constant chatter with, you know, it was like a ping pong ball going back and forth in my head because there'd be one negative thought, then another, then one. And it's like, it took me a long time to find tools and techniques that help me get rid of that. But I know there's kids that are doing it. And, and I know even from the children I work with, you know, they cut themselves. Why are they cutting themselves? And I'm trying, you know, just asking them, trying to get information just because I'm just like, to me, I'm like, that would hurt. But sometimes the physical pain is better than the emotion. You know, it, get rid, it gets rid of the emotional pain. And I get that, but it's like, that's sad that that's one reason or one thing they may do instead of a healthier way to, you know, deal with it. Uh, all right. Hold it right there. You just said a mouthful. So we're going to unpack that. What is a healthier way? One way is, as I said, just to tell yourself when you start, when you start saying, uh, I'm not smart enough tell yourself something you are good at. So have a list of things you're good at. Maybe it's you're polite. Then you say, I am polite, or I am a good friend. Just something else that you can put the negative, get, you know, get rid of the negative comment. And sometimes it's like, if you're really stuck in that, that the negative stuff, so okay, I'm going to give you two minutes or one minute, say all the negative things you want. And then after that, that's it. Or, the best thing I have is just turn on music and dance. I mean, you can't do that in school, but you know, you're at home, just turn on some music and just start dancing or laughing. I think one thing too, I found out as an adult, I need laughter in my life. And when I don't have laughter in my life, I get very depressed. And it's interesting how long sometimes in a day I would go without laughing. And it's like, so I, I said, kids laugh and children, oh my God, they laugh at anything. And so that can really just change what you're thinking too, because, you know, you're laughing and that takes away from what's going on up there. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're going to just break this down for anybody who geeks out on science. Laughter is in the neocortex. And yes, the brain has many different diagrams, but for simplicity, prefrontal cortex, logical thinking, neocortex, memory. What's funny? That's a memory. This section, this is where emotions are stored. So if we have a memory of something that's funny, it goes back here to get that sensation of emotion that's positive. And Jean, every time we talk, I get clearer and clearer on... <laughs> What is it that we need to know to be able to shift into a positive emotional experience? How do we shift into laughter? You know, one thing is just to laugh. I used to do yoga laughter and that was great. You just start <sighs> laughing and try to get to the belly laughter. And it, it, it's amazing how it makes you feel. You, didn't, you don't even have to do it very long, but just start laughing. And, it, and it's interesting. If All right, hold it. There are people who are going, what do you mean just start laughing? There has to be a stimulus to make me laugh. What you're saying is just start laughing. Exactly. So, All right, exactly. so Stan, you know, give us a demonstration. Just start laughing. <laughs> 
are <laughs> <laughs> be just like that. You know, it, right. I have I have a baby doll, and the first baby doll I was given was a crying doll, mm -hmm. and then someone gave me one that's battery operated that. And for like two minutes, this doll just laughs in the way that an infant laughs. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's what you're talking about. You're talking about just laugh the way an infant laughs. Just allow your body to experience laughter. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and that does change how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think, with, as I said, the kids can usually laugh, especially younger kids, about everything. As we get older, and teenagers, maybe not so much mm -hmm. because, you know, they want to be... Yeah, cute. yeah, yeah. Okay, teenagers, <laughs> we'll just put them in a box over there. All but, right. But even okay. then, they can laugh, and they do. So, it, yeah. yeah, and just give yourself permission to laugh, especially... When you're when you're down and start getting down, just laugh. I say either laugh or cry. And sometimes it, you just need to cry too and get it out. But the problem is when we stay there, we need to get out of that that crying, the negative stuff. We need to do something to switch, you know, our system because if we stay there, it's just going to get more and more negative. And then it it gets to the point where oh. it's hard to switch. Yeah. All right, so the reality of the world, according to Gene, is that where you have control, take control. And so if you decide to believe that you have control over your emotional states, then deciding to laugh, and trust me, over the last two days, I have made that decision a lot to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of posts to my team that start with laugh out loud because why not? I mean, we're dealing with a new reality. I'm not in control. And my daughter who's running my tech is the person who taught me that control was a total illusion. Okay. I mean, uh, for everybody on the line, I'm just going to give you a clue. At 18 months, my firstborn could open every child guard lock invented by man. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> and this was no surprise because a couple of months earlier, she had walked into my living room. Now, that doesn't sound like such an accomplishment for a child over the age of one. But it was after she had been put to bed and she walked into the living room carrying the rails from her crib. Oh, wow. She had dismantled it. Okay. Some uh, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, here we go. All right, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was Katie. Um, here's what happened when she went to school. I got a letter from the teacher that said, Katie's not turning in her homework. Now, at the time, I'm a single mom. We have a, I'm running a family daycare. We have a very systemized schedule. So everybody came home, everybody did their homework, and Katie's not turning in her homework. All right, so that night, everybody came home, everybody did their homework, and I made sure that Katie's homework was in her backpack. 
and I got a message from the school. Katie's not turning in her homework, and we know why. Well, I had a conversation with the school because obviously I was clueless. The homework got done, it was in the backpack, yeah. The teacher had found her homework in the trash can. And every illusion that I had of control was gone. Because while I could help her make sure her homework was done, and I could help her make sure it was in her backpack. I could not force her to turn it in. And the reality was the more that I tried to encourage her and tell her why this was important, the less likely she was to take that action. Right. And here's what's valuable for parents. Our children will talk to a stranger more readily than they will talk to anyone who knows the possible players in their pain. Mm -hmm. And so, Jean, what you're doing with this Treehouse Talks, you know, I mean, this is a chance for parents to just go, all right, so let's give our kids someone else to talk to because they don't always hear us. and trust me as a parent i did not always have the capacity to hear them right and, and sometimes though like you were saying they don't tell you they'll tell other people exactly mm -hmm. and one thing too that i tell kids don't matter what age but most of the teens and up to have someone in their life that's preferably not a parent or someone in their immediate family that they can talk to regardless what, or that person's there for them because they want someone that's, and, and that's how I'm as a coach, neutral. I have no skin in the game. And so a parent, as a parent, you always want what's best for your child. And so does, you know, the person that they're confiding in. However, they're not, it's not as big a deal if they do this or that. They're just more of a sounding board or if they get in trouble and need a ride in the middle of the night, they can call that person and say, hey, I did something stupid. Can you come and pick me up? Or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, just to have someone there because I think when we do go through those difficult times and there are, you know, some of us mm -hmm. have more than others, they have that person that they can rely on and that's that is there for them that as i said is not going to be judged or they don't think they're judgmental just because they're not the parent or you know someone in the family the relation that knows them yeah so building out a safe space for teens is one place building out just this possibility that we could have a conversation that made a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jean, you know, when we connected and I learned more about what you were doing with your podcast and how you really are, talk about passion driven. I mean, you are really passion driven to work with teens. And I'm not. Yes, I'm the co-founder of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society and Somebody else is going to have to train the teens. I raised three daughters. I'm not interested. What I am interested in is having the conversation with the adults. Our children catch 
our attitudes. We don't teach them. Our attitudes are not taught. Our attitudes are caught. <laughs> so true. And as much as you want to work with the children, what can you give to the adults? Well, what I'm doing actually with my coaching now, I've started doing something when I talk to the kids, then I spend a few minutes talking to the parents. Not about, I mean, I won't do confidential things, but I will say this is what we talked about today. If it's meditation, whatever it is, then I, I tell the parents what I told the kids or explain how to do it so they know. Because if I just tell the kid and they're, if they may be doing something, the parent won't have any idea what they're doing, but that mm -hmm. way there's some carryover. But also so the parent can do it too, so they can be a model. So definitely, I, I think what they need to do is if you have a child that maybe has low self-esteem, as a parent, watch what you say about yourself. And I know growing up, my mother was- Hold it. <laughs> How would a parent know that they had a child who had low self-esteem? Like you said that so fast, I just wanna stop, freeze frame. You could just listen to what comes out of the child's mouth. It's like, they, they say negative things like, I can't believe I did that again, or, I have no friends or I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to learn this stuff like that. And then they just need to look back at what they are telling themselves. All right. So when a parent hears their kids say this, mm -hmm. what's the absolute best thing they can do or say? What I, it, if, if they say, I'm never going to learn this, then if as the parent, I would, I would say, just, you know, just let's break it down. And how can you break it down? And you will learn this. It, it's just going to take time. Some people learn things at different paces or, you know, speeds, that type of thing. But as a parent too, as I said, I would just really, or you can ask them, sometimes they don't like to be questioned, but you can ask them, oh, no, why do you say that? But, but as a parent, too, as I was saying. Oh, then, yeah, they, the why question usually gets the defensiveness. So if we're asking them the first question, mm -hmm. you know, they say, yeah, uh, pick one, because you had a whole list there. So you could, if, if they're trying to learn or do homework and they're just overwhelmed, the, as a parent, they could just say, okay, what are you trying to do? And, and help them break it down. Or the parent could even say, you know what? It, it's really a nice sunny day. Let's go take a walk. And sometimes by getting them away from that situation, and getting outside in nature, and even, I would even say, take the shoes off, the socks off, if it's nice out, and really connect with Mother Earth, that may be, then you take it back in and help. I mean, it may, may make it just as hard, but I think just getting them away from that and taking their mind off it, and then bringing them back, sometimes as you're doing something, things look totally different when you come to it again from a different m mindset. But the parent, as a parent, I would also just see otherwise, just say, okay, tell me what you're trying to do. And we'll, let's see if I can help you. And, and just do steps, take it, break it down from one step to another, to another. Yeah. You know, make it in simple. this day and age, I think so many parents are afraid they don't know what their kids need from them. That if their kid needs help with their homework, the, the parents are not going to be able to do it because the skill sets are so different. And so I'm going to invite everybody to come into your world where the only thing you have to do 
is be willing to listen to what it is your child wants to accomplish. Right. Oh my God, wouldn't that be a miracle for so many of us if someone was just willing to listen to us without trying to problem solve, fix, strategize, you know, I mean, judge. Those are the big four, judgment, problem solving, fixing, and strategizing. What if we could be heard without that? And I'm so um, programmed to fix other people because this is what my clients pay me for. You know, they pay me to come up with strategies and solutions and problem solving and next steps that my kids, God bless them, my kids had a conversation with me. Mom, I'd like to be able to talk with you without you trying to fix it. Yeah, that's very true. And the thing is though too, you have you know your child and there's no two children alike. So how, what you may do for one child may not work for the other or the other. So yeah, but listening is key. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the second step when it comes to self-advocacy and the whole advocacy training program. I mean, the first step is to relax. Mm -hmm. Everything you've done is good enough. And when you come to this in the state of relaxation, the second step is how do you listen? Listen without judging, problem solving, fixing, strategizing. And that's a muscle that needs exercise, which is why we put case studies into the advocacy program. So, Jean, I know that the kids who listen to Treehouse Tales with Mama Jean. I've not actually started it yet. Yeah. So you have. You've created the concept. Yeah. And I've, all right, I got two conversations to have with you. The first one is the public conversation that says, what you're doing for children is amazing that you're bringing these concepts to them. And the second conversation is heartfelt from my business hat, my left brain, which says, stop apologizing. Decide that what you have done is good enough, that what you're bringing into the world is good enough. Because if you were not ready for bigger audiences, you would not be on this summit today. Right, right. And when I realized that you were like, oh, it's not launched yet. Yeah, and I'm like, mm. okay, I'm, I'm gonna just say, stop. <laughs> Free house talks with Mama Jean is coming. Yes or no? <laughs> it is coming. I've awesome. Free house talks with Mama Jean is going to be an amazing resource for children. Yes or no? Yes. Free house talks with Mama Jean is the fulfillment of your life mission as you've defined it to this moment. Yes or no? Yeah. Oh my. So everybody is going to check in to Treehouse Talks with Mama Jean. You'll find it, you'll like it, you'll share it, you'll subscribe to it. 
Because anyone willing, and I posted this out on all my social media channels today, anyone willing to create something for kids that age group? Oh, and I can't carry a tune. Oh, I raised three daughters. They were all in high school at the same time. I am not willing to go there. So the fact that you are willing to go there, that you are willing to say, hey, here's a podcast for your kids because they're going to see their parents listening and watching podcasts. And parents need to know that there's a podcast that's child appropriate because the majority of them, including mine, are not appropriate for kids under a certain age. Jean, stand up, take a power woman pose. Yeah, 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 take, take a pose. I mean, the, the reality is that the moment you claim your power, you will be more powerful for the kids that you want to help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, there we go. So you can sit back down readjust your camera <laughs> and the amazing thing about what you're doing is that you're willing and you're willing to go where angels fear to tread darling i'm just saying all right so we're putting um treehouse talks with mama jean and we've got the link in there. There's also a link in there for um, the, oh my God, it says connect with Jean. There we go. All right. So Katie's on it and I am so grateful. The reality of let's talk money now. And let's talk money now is not just for kids. It's also for adults. It's like, let's have a conversation about where your limiting beliefs come from where your money talk comes from, where all of this stuff comes from. And let's just see if it's still serving you. Maybe there's a different way to do it. Right. So thank you so much for offering this to everyone on the call so that they can connect with you, Jean. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Just wish everybody the best of luck. And we're going to make it through this COVID time just excellent. You know, it's like, this is a perfect time for kids to know that adults don't have all their stuff together either. <laughs> we don't, yeah, nobody knows right. what's going to happen. So. For, for decades, we've been in this realm where the adults had it all figured out and kids just had to go, okay, I guess so. <laughs> and now we're in a time where kids are aware that adults don't have it figured out when it comes to something global. Right. And the kids are like, hey, would this be a good idea? Would this be a good idea? And they need a safe place to put those ideas out in the world. Right. And that's what you're creating, Jean? Yes. And I am just so grateful that you are willing to go where I am not, which is working with kids. So on that note, I just want to thank you for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Good night, everybody.